Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Today's scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And so if you have your Bible with you, why don't you head there? Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Church, this is what we read. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray together now, church, and then we're going to get to hear a message from our senior pastor, Tom Paquette. Let's pray. Jesus, we... We thank you that you have reconciled us to the Father through the cross. We thank you that that we don't have to do guesswork here. We thank you that it's been finished. Thank you that it's an objective reality for those of us who are in Christ, that we have been forgiven, been reconciled to you. And yet we, we just confess to you, we admit, Father, we have so much going on in our lives that it's just easy to to lose track of these basic truths of the gospel, that you're for us, that you care about us, that you're with us. I pray that today as we hear your word preached, as we continue to worship, that you would bring us back to these central realities, Father. That you would help us to reorient ourselves once again to you and the promises that are in you, the hope that is in you, the joy and the life that are in you. Bring us back to yourself today, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Give us fresh hope, fresh encouragement, fresh wisdom for the coming days. Yes, Lord. We trust you and we love you. We need you, Father. We pray all these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'd like church for you to read this scripture with me from 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
On Wednesday afternoon, uh, I had fairly lengthy pastoral staff meeting via Zoom and was something that we've been planning for a couple of weeks. And uh, one of the things that we talked about at length was as a result of elder discussion of the elders is to establish a time for our church to come together and pray. This was on Wednesday afternoon that we're having this meeting and we were putting together the details of our vision to have uh, 40 hours continuous prayer time here at the vineyard where we would just go for 40 hours straight. People could come and go and pray. And uh, we felt compelled to call it Heal Our Land. And of course, we had in our vision the healing of our land from this terrible pandemic. And of course, we had in our mind the healing of our land from the political turmoil and unrest in which we presently live. And so we, we came out of that meeting sometime mid-afternoon uh, on Wednesday, having just committed ourselves to setting up the first weekend of February, February 5th through the 7th, to pray together, to fast together, that we would ask God to heal our land. Little did we know that at the very time that we were meeting, the very time that we were meeting, such a thing was happening in our nation's capital. It's time to pray this prayer, isn't it? It's, we, we'll be more sharing the details about that weekend as the weeks advance. But what we presently face as a nation, God is our only hope. God is our only hope. And as God spoke these words to Solomon at the dedication of the temple, we want to just translate whatever portion of that was, is in principle and not in context, and you know, specifically for that context, and say, God, would you heal our land? Would you just join me now in a time of prayer, please, church? If my people, we are your people, who are called by my name, we are called by your name, will humble themselves. Lord, may we just empty our hands of the things that have gotten us here and humble ourselves before you. And pray, oh God, we're calling out to you now. And seek my face. Oh God, it's you that we seek. We, we do not put our trust in horses or chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God and we seek your face. And we turn from our wicked ways, Lord, whether they be acts of habitual sin, whether they be, whether they be contributors to turmoil and division. We turn from that which is wicked, Lord and look to you and ask you to hear from heaven and forgive us of our sins in the name of Jesus Christ by his shed blood on the cross. Forgive us not only of our individual sins, but our sins as a church, our sins as a nation, Lord. And we call out to you, Lord, 
And we ask you, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, to heal our land. Read it again with me, church, please. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, I think uh, the series that we started last week could not be more timely. That as I called out to the Lord late last year and just started saying, Lord, what, what should I teach? And I just heard, heard him say, tell them again about the church. And I said, what about the church? And I heard the body and the bride. The, the church is at a defining moment in its own history. And how we emerge from this pandemic and how we emerge from this political turmoil, I think will be determined by how we commit ourselves to actually being the church in the world today according to God's prescription for what the church was ever meant to be. The body and the bride of Christ. Last week, we just looked at how the, the, the primary, the most essential activity of the church by nature as the body and bride of Christ is to do what? To worship God. That's why he made us. It's non-negotiable. We are called as his people to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, today I'd like to show you that as the body and bride of Christ, in addition to being a body of worship, the church must live in ongoing, present, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. To help you understand that, I'd like for you to turn again in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, which was read for you just a little while ago. We're going to focus on verses 19 through 22. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, by way of some larger, yep, Mrs. Potato Head, there we go. Did I do that or did you? You did that, okay. We'll forget this then. All right. You know, in this passage and in the book of, uh, book of Ephesians in general, Paul talks a lot about the essential unity between the Jews and the Gentiles who called on the name of Jesus as their Savior. Uh, because Jesus came to conquer division. You realize this, right? And as, as Christian read, to make the two one. Jesus came to conquer division. In the Old Testament, there's really only one division when it came to the temple. There were the priests and everybody else. That was one division. But by the time we get to Paul's day and the day that he would have written Ephesians, it had actually evolved into four divisions. Aren't we good at that? Aren't we just good at taking what God makes simple and making it complicated? So two divisions in the Old Testament, priests and everybody else. By the time we get to Paul, there were four divisions. There were the priests, there were the Jewish men, there were the non-Jewish people who were seeking God, and then there were the women. Check that out, right? And so you had this big division 
And Paul comes in and he says, this does not play in the kingdom of God. This division does not play in the kingdom of God. We are one body and only one body in Christ. And when it comes to the division between the Jews who had become Christians and Gentiles who had become Christians, he said, there's no distinction. There's only one. You can't categorize people and make these distinctions. And the Apostle Paul, buckle up for this, was in a very real way also talking about the equality of races. Let me tell you why I know that. It's because shortly before writing this, Paul had been in the city of Caesarea. And there he had witnessed with his own eyes the, the violence and the murder that was occurring in the streets of Caesarea between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other so much that they were willing to kill one another. Why? Because they were Jews and they were Samaritans. Now you might say, that's the same old religious war that's been going on forever between the Jews and the Muslims. Nay, nay, nay. Because Islam wasn't even born yet. Islam wasn't even conceived until the 7th century. So this was not a Jewish-Muslim dispute or war. This was a Jews-Samaritans dispute. And Paul goes to great lengths of saying, that does not play in the kingdom of God. No matter what a person was taught, racism does not play in the kingdom of God. And so with that context, then he starts to tell us in verse 19, he says, consequently, well, that sounds like a word we should stop for, doesn't it? That sounds like one of them therefore words, doesn't it? Consequently, well, consequently what? Well, because of what Christian just read for us. Consequently, that because God is making one body, one people without distinction, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We're all in the same family. We're all in the same family. There's only one. There should be no distinction between people. There's neither slave or free Jew nor Greek, male or female. There's one. And then verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, as we talked about last week. He's talking about the church. That we are all being built into one, established on the same foundation, that we have new blood in us. That we have new heritage in us. Check your ancestry.com. It says Jesus. Right? Did you know you're a blood relative of Jesus? Because of what he did for you on the cross. There's one, one blood, one heritage now. He says, now that's all true, true of, of all of us. And then in verse 21, he says, in him, the whole building, now that's the church, in him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So are you getting this? this? This body of people, this ecclesia, these called out people 
who set aside their, their, their human tendencies to categorize and judge one another, who set all that aside to become one, were being built up into a house. That's the church. That's the body of Christ in the world. To become a holy temple to the Lord. And now to my point. Verse 22, and in him... You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The church, as the body and bride of Christ, is meant to be the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that God does not live in houses built by human hands. He lives in us. And as the gathered church, he lives in us as as the, the, the house that's being built up for his glory. And the body, and the, as the body and, and bride of Christ only exists if we are living in ongoing dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Are you getting this? This is so fundamental to who we are as the church, and I'm talking about capital C around the world. The church must live in ongoing, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit, or it's not a church. You know, it turns out that not everything that walks like a duck and quacks like a duck is a duck. Without Holy Spirit's presence, dynamic presence in the church, you don't have the church. Without the Holy Spirit's presence, the church is neither the body of Christ nor the bride of Christ. I mean, the Holy Spirit gives life to the body, yes? Has anybody got to Acts chapter 2 yet? Anybody? Do you see what happened when the church was born? How was it born? It was born by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives life to the church. No spirit, no life. The Holy Spirit releases spiritual gifts to the body. Anybody get to 1 Corinthians 12 yet? And you read that, that God arranges us all in this house as he wants us to be, and he enables us by his strength, by his power, with certain giftings and anointings to bring him the greatest glory as we work as one. But without the Holy Spirit, there are no spiritual gifts. And the Holy Spirit is the head of the body. He's the head. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells the body what to do. So if, if church does not have passionate, ongoing, dynamic connection with the Holy Spirit, it not only doesn't have life, it doesn't know what to do. Making sense? Yes or no? Okay. Well, as the bride of Christ, then, the Holy Spirit is the other half of the relationship. Right? Come on. The Holy Spirit's the one who brings intimacy. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and tenderizes hard hearts so that we can be loving toward God. That's how we become the bride of Christ. Ugh. I made a devotion this week in which I talked about, I don't really have a man card anymore. It's, I thought it was more of a man octagon because, you know, so many of the corners have been cut off. But one of the brothers came in this morning and said, Tom, in your case, I think it's more of a man circle. <laughs> That's what God does. He cuts that stuff off of us. That pride. 
And that's Holy Spirit is coming to make us the bride of Christ. That's where the intimacy comes from. Are you feeling this? The church as the body and bride of Christ only exists if we are in ongoing dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now you might be wondering this. Am I saying that every local church needs to be charismatic or Pentecostal? Absolutely not. The the body of Christ is vast and diverse. Church doesn't have to be Pentecostal to be living in dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. We we tend to think of the church in in a linear fashion like this, don't we? We think that on, on on one end, you know, you have this formal ritualism, and on the other, you have the loosey goosey Pentecostals who are doing whatever they want, right? And we kind of think of the church on a line like this, and we kind of line ourselves up in there somewhere and say, well, here's where I am. <laughs> I, I, I want to suggest to you that, that there's definitely a lot of difference in, uh, in the church, in a local expression of the church, or even denominations and movement expressions of the church. But what if instead of a line, we saw it as a circle? What if we saw the church instead of a line as we saw it as a circle? And, and if we did, what if we put in the center of that circle the word kerygma? Say kerygma. Kerygma is a Greek word that means proclamation. And the early church, the first century church, used this phrase, this word, to talk about what the core proclamation of the gospel needs to be, the kerygma. It's a fun word, kerygma. What are the non-negotiables? What's at the center of the gospel presentation? And they, they decided that there are really just three things at the center of the gospel presentation. One, repent and confess Christ. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit and abide in the body of Christ. That's, that's the end of it, they said. That's the core. If you, if you are good at those three, good in those three areas, you're in. That's the proclamation of the, of, of the gospel. And the, the, the charisma existed as an essential center for all of the churches, no matter what culture that that they may have found themselves in, no matter what differences outside of that they might exhibit. Now, let's let's add another fun word, and the word is didache. Say didache. It's a Greek word that means teaching. And so what it really had to do was, it means that that the teaching beyond the agreed-upon center. Everybody agrees on the center, but what's going on outside that, there's room for debate. There's room for discussion, correct? Which then, because of that, begins to create a sense of variety in the church, though they're all connected by the center thing that we're calling kerygma. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they called that the apostles' teaching, as you will momentarily see there, the apostles' teaching. The, so Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles, they were all agreed on the kerygma, but they were teaching varieties of things that were never in conflict with the kerygma, but had to do with the culture in which they found themselves. So let's just say that there were 12 apostles, because there were, all right? 
And let's just say that Peter's hanging out mostly in Jerusalem, Paul's going all the way to Rome, Thomas is going all the way to India, and nine other apostles are carrying the kerygma to different contexts. And you could see then why the Didache on the outside of that would have reason to create variety, correct? Are you getting this? All right. But what do all, what, what do all of those churches have in common? What do, what do, they have the kerygma. What, does the, what, what do the three elements of kerygma have in common but that each of them equally depends on the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit? Nobody, get, nobody repents and confesses Christ without the Holy Spirit moving. Did you know that? <laughs> That's how we all came to Christ. You remember when that all started getting juicy inside and you're going, what? I don't even want to do this. Who knows what I'm talking about? Come on, is anybody here? And you're just drawn into it. Nobody gets saved apart from God's Holy Spirit. Certainly nobody's filled with the Holy Spirit without God's Holy Spirit, right? And you know what? We don't really abide in the body of Christ except for the drawing of the Holy Spirit that keeps us together, as evidenced by some of you who have tried to get away. <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the kerygma depends on the present dynamic of the Holy Spirit. Now let's fast forward today. When you look at the diversity of the global church, can you see that we share the kerygma? But that because we're in different places, in different situations, the DDK might look differently. Hmm. Let's look at the landscape of the American church. Let's think about non-charismatic churches whom God is using in society. I mean, let's, let's think about a, a non-charismatic church that is just really good at leading people to Christ. Better than us. Yeah, we can do all this and all this, and that's who we're called to be. That's our DDK, right? But what about churches that say, no, we're not in all this and all, but you know what we do? We see people come to Jesus Christ and surrender their lives to him. They're filled with the Spirit. They're living in dynamic, passionate presence of the Holy Spirit. How about these groups in our society that God uses to transform society. How about Lutheran social services in Columbus, Ohio? Come on. You think the Holy Spirit isn't all over that? And we could go on. But what I just really want you to do is don't stand in your decay and look at other churches and go, uh-uh, come on. Get into the kerygma and say, oh, you were here all along. Is this working for anybody but me? Okay. So what I'm saying is that not every local church or movement or denomination has to be charismatic or Pentecostal to be living an ongoing dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we look around and what we see is, what I want to say is, for a church to test itself, I think you would be looking for four things. Four essential confirmations of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is engaging worship. Well, that, it's not the church if you're not in worship. But engaging worship for some people is different than others. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Come on. They don't have to worship as we worship in any way similar to be engaged. They're very formal churches, powerfully engaging worship. There's love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. There's got to be love. Now, 
if there's not love, the Holy Spirit isn't present. <laughs> and I'm not saying you don't have bumps along the way. Of course you do. And sometimes love has to be tough. But typically, characteristically, you would say, yeah, I, I feel and I give love in my church. Um, there's a humbly surrendered leadership. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit, right? There's nobody trying to own the church. You know, when Paul wanted to go to Asia, he was all, he and his companions were already, Acts chapter 16, and they're heading off there, and he had a vision from the man from Macedonia. He said, no, you're not going there, you're coming here. What did he say? Excuse me, I'm Paul. Have you not read about me? <laughs> you know, I'm Paul. I'm going to Asia. I said, all right. Having been warned in a dream, he said, we went the other way. Just, you should see these elders we have. They're about humbly surrendered. They're not trying to own anything. They're not trying to direct anything. I told them, you know, there's four of us, and I told them at our last elders meeting last week, I said, you know, something occurred to me today, guys. I was reading through the fruit of the Holy Spirit and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think between the four of us, we make up one good Christian. <laughs> yeah, it's just, if you want to see evidence of the Holy Spirit in this church, just look at those guys. And also, there are signs of the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be healing. It doesn't have to be the sign gifts. It can be evangelism. It can be mercy. It can be administration, but there, there are signs of the kingdom of God, a palpable sense of his presence. Let me tell you a story of arrogance. A number of years ago, our daughter Betsy and her husband, Mr. Ohio State University, PhD in chemistry, they took us to their church, St. Mark's Episcopal Church, and we were off on a Sunday. Yeah, we'll go to church with you. And so we went in, and I said, oh, this is going to be lame. <laughs> and we sat down in these clunky wooden pews, and Betsy was saying, now, now turn to this page, and now we do this, and now we read that, and now we stand, and now we do this. And I'm like, okay. I told you it was a story of arrogance, right? I'm getting there. And then they have communion, which they always do. And they said, if you'd like to have communion, just come up and get around the altar rail here. There's a circular rail, and the priest would come around, and he'd give you the stuff. So I'm on communion. So I go up there. I got to tell you guys, when I took that bread, when I took that cup, I was overwhelmed by God's presence and his Holy Spirit. I will never forget that moment. And all of my arrogance about how they were kind of church light compared to us, he overwhelmed me with the presence of his spirit. We must embrace some version of this perspective. The purpose of the church in the world today is to be the body and blood of Christ, preparing to become the bride of Christ. And as such, listen, as such, as such, the body and bride of Christ must live in dynamic, ongoing, 
relationship with God's Holy Spirit. Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? Me too. Last time I was filled with the Holy Spirit was about, probably about 7.45 this morning. And I'm ready again. I'm already ready. Would you like to be filled with God's Holy Spirit? One of the things that I've so desperately, desperately missed is time up here together in the flow of God's Holy Spirit. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, let's, let's clear out a row and let's make some room for people who can come. So we're going to worship God, as you know, for an extended time, a few songs. If at any time you'd like to come up and draw near, you may come. Please, six feet apart, okay? Stay apart from each other and keep your mask on. The river's flowing up here this morning. I know that. The river's flowing. I stood out there on, when I walked the wall this morning, stood out there on the bridge and stretched my hands out and said, Lord, let the river of life flow. And God reminded me of John chapter 5 when that paralytic for 38 years was trying to get into water and he couldn't get there because no one had helped him. Because when the river flowed, they could all get healed, right? And Jesus said, not to worry. I'm here. And it's got this vision of just a river vision. I don't mean that in an ecstatic sense. This picture of the river of life just flowing on through here. And I know that there's some of you here today who say, I want to get in on that. So come.